You're listening to Last Word Radio, where you have the last word. Welcome to Any Given Monday. It's great to be back. I'm Hayden Adoni. Joining me as always, Duncan Song. Welcome, Duncan. Thanks, Nads. Look, huge show in store for the listeners today. We're continuing on with our rankings previews. Today we're doing edge rushes and linebackers. Uh, we've also got our next eight quarterbacks on our list as we're getting up to the business end of that list. Um, and there's been plenty of uh, news going on in the offseason that we're going to dive into today. Uh, Nads, but before we get to that, let's get through our social media, and there was a lot going around, so this is going to be a good segment, I think. What have you got to start us off with your love? Alright, so like you've mentioned, Dunk, the amount of social media quality that we have had since our last episode has just been off the charts. It's been absolutely crazy, but for my love, there, there's just one thing that jumps out out of the rest and it's Peyton Manning's roast of Kevin Durant at the ESPY Awards. Let's go to the clip. And our gymnastics team was so dominant that Kevin Durant told me he wants to play for them next year. Mate, look, Peyton Manning is a genuinely funny, funny guy. I think, I don't know if people who aren't really familiar with his personality, he's a genuinely funny guy. You watch some of his TV commercials as well, it's just been great year after year after year and this is just a testament to that um my favorite part of the whole thing was actually russell westbrook losing the plot and trying to hide it like really subtly while that was all going on i thought that was the funniest part yeah look the whole the whole setup was genius and i've actually been reading a little bit online that there might have actually been it might have been coerced by durant as well he might have been in on it so if it was regardless of how it went it was Absolutely hilarious and made for great uh, a great social media story on the day. Yeah, look, I think Peyton actually did a really good job hosting the ESPYs. I love seeing him on TV since he's been uh, done with his football career, and I think he's a great personality to have around the league. But let's keep this moving, Nads. What's your social media hate for this week? All right, so we've got a few double standards going on here, Duncan, which is my social media hate. So... Michael Vick was on Speak for Yourself, and that's a it's a TV show on Fox Sports One. It usually features Cow- Colin Coward and Jason Whitlock, and Vick was a guest on the show. And one of the things that he said about Colin Kaepernick was the first thing we've got to get Colin to do is cut his hair. Like the SB Awards, let's go to the clip. And I think he needs to actually talk and put his name on what he feels about the NFL and wanting to play, I think he needs to speak for himself. I think he really does. The first thing we got to get Colin to do is cut his hair. You know, I mean, <laughs> listen, I'm not up here to try to be politically correct, but, you know, even if he puts cornrows in it, I don't think he should represent himself, you know, in that way in terms of, you know, just the hairstyle. Just go clean cut. You know, why not? Uh, 
I don't really mind the way that Vic is saying, look, Kaepernick needs to change his image, and I agree with that. I think that he needs to come across as someone who people can take seriously, and that like, that's no offence to Kaepernick in terms of his actions, but at the end of the day, we live in such a politically correct world that uh, image is... Uh, more or less it's quite a bit about how people see you and how you're perceived through the media so if if he wants to get another job in the league yeah Vic's probably right but at the same time for the comments to be coming from someone who has had such a colorful past I'm not really sure I agree with it no it does seem to be a little bit of you know, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones um, I I'm not gonna go into this too much because this sort of topic when you're talking about political correctness can you know rub a lot of people the wrong way without even intending to so i'm not going to talk too much about it but i do think you're right i think with someone with such a checkered past like michael vicks had um you know he'd probably be best served not throwing those stones yeah, exactly. Interestingly enough, Vic is now a, a guest assistant with Kansas City. He's going to be co- um, doing some... I'm not even sure if he's doing some quality control stuff or he's just observing, but he's he's going to be present at the Kansas City training camp. So that's going to be interesting to see how that develops. Oh, it certainly will be. All right, we've got one more little special bit of social media ads that you want to talk about. Yeah, so this is my ugly for the week. And I, I was scrolling around on Twitter and this popped up. And it was a video of Skip Bayless. And we all know that Skip likes to have 20 million hot takes. And this is just a collection of his hot takes that seem to almost uh, uh, contradict himself. Let's go to the clip. Aaron Rodgers is historically, transcendentally, specially great. Nope. You know why? Because Aaron Rodgers is hot and Aaron Rodgers is cold. Are you kidding me? He is not consistently historically great transcendentally great he's above anybody who's playing this game on a human level right now he's also the most overhyped quarterback in the history of pro football that is the most laughable statement you have ever made in the history of this show okay so it's it's aaron bleeping rogers he's errant rogers e-r-r-a-n-t rogers here's what you won't have an answer for the play of the game and the play of the year and the play of this century. That was special. There was nothing special about this play. No. Yes. I mean, we all like to argue with Skip Bayless, but when Skip Bayless is arguing with himself, there is nothing more ugly than that. It's just, it's, you know, there's always going to be a place for the hot take guy in the analysis of professional sports. It's a role that needs to be filled. It drums up interest. You get people listening, watching, reading, whatever your platform is. But at the same time, I feel like you've got to at least have some consistency in your hot takes. If you can have this sort of video where you can have yourself spliced arguing against yourself, you know, you're just, at that point, you're just, you know, drumming up hot hot takes for the sake of it. And I'd, I'd... for me, I feel like it has much more merit when you you are that guy that takes the the you know the hard line, the view that you know might not the, the majority of the population might not agree with, but at least be consistent in how you apply it. No, exactly. I mean, like he can just do his own radio show or own TV show now, and he can just record himself being devil's advocate, and um, yeah, do it himself. Mate, don't give him any ideas. It sounds like something Skip would actually do. Ah, uh, I wouldn't put it past him.
All right, Nad, so now that we've moved on with the social media, we can get into some of the, the roundup that's, that's been happening so far. But before we get to the big stories, football's back, mate. We've got training camps starting up. Teams are getting into it. We're seeing stories coming out from training camps. There's, there's things for us to talk about again. Oh, it's so good that the NFL's more or less the off-season is finally over. We have the Hall of Fame game in one week's time. I absolutely cannot wait for football to be back. No, me too. I, I mean, preseason games are always a little bit eh for me, but it's still football. It's better than nothing. Uh, we've got college season coming around for those that like college football as well. That starts a bit before the NFL. Um, yeah, it's an exciting time, but because training camp's back, we've got some news stories, Nad. So let's start with some of the biggest ones. Uh, the Panthers, what's going on there? Alright, so the Panthers general manager is no longer the general manager. Dave Gettleman, he has been fired. And this is one that came out of left field. I mean, they lost their assistant general manager earlier in the earlier in the year, went to Buffalo, and it, it didn't seem like anything was like really going on there in Carolina. Everything seemed to be okay, at least on the surface. But look, reportedly, uh, Gettleman rubbed up quite a few people the wrong way. He was quite ruthless with his players when it came to contracts. And um, the Panthers owner, uh, Jerry Richardson, he's he's more of a player's guy. And Gettleman didn't really, it didn't really mesh well with the two. I mean, Gettleman had no issues letting guys with big names go. So you had Steve Smith, D'Angelo Williams, Josh Norman. He let them all go. And in one way, he was hired specifically to fix the cap. So he did his job really well. And then you have to consider that, look at the guys that he brought in to replace those guys. So Steve Smith's gone. Okay, yep. he's out of the league. He brought in Kelvin Benjamin. Now, yep. I, don't think Kelvin, I don't think Kelvin Benjamin's a bad player. I think he has the no. potential to be a true number one. So, tick. And D'Angelo Williams is gone. They've still got Jonathan Stewart. And D'Angelo Williams is out of a job right now. They've used their first round pick on Christian McCaffrey. So that's for me, that's another tick. I, I will hold my judgment, but yes, it should be a tick. I'll be surprised if McCaffrey isn't, isn't at least um, serviceable. I mean, it's not like D'Angelo Williams was a 1,500-yard rusher um, in, in his final years with Carolina. Well, that, that's very true. I'll, I'll pay that. that. That's fair. You know, it's not going to be hard to replace the production that that he had and even even so um Williams was in in Pittsburgh um the past year anyway so it's not as if they've been without him for like just a short period of time they've they've had time to yeah they've had plenty of time yeah now the last one is Josh Norman now he was getting franchise tag money they rescinded the tag in extremely controversial circumstances he ended up signing with the Redskins but the replacement in my opinion He's almost as every bit as good as what Norman did when he was in Carolina. Now, James Bradbury was a second-round pick. He was a rookie last year, and he bowled out. He was one of the best corners um, in terms of the entire rookie class. I had him as the number one corner for the rookie class for that season. Yes, ahead of even Jalen Ramsey. I thought he was that good, and for me... That's one of the biggest ticks, given that he's on a second-round contract, rookie contract. He's still got three years of his deal left, and they're not going to be paying $15 million a year for an overpaid scrub like Norman, who was getting torched time and time again in Washington last year. No, I think it, it goes to show 
exactly what a lot of people were concerned about with Josh Norman when he did sign that deal with Washington is that he was a system guy. He he fit the system that the Panthers run um, and was able to operate to, I guess, the full extent of his potential in that system. But the second you take him out of it and put him into a different system doing different things, uh, his production's nowhere near as good as it was. Now, does that slight then also fall on onto Bradbury, I don't know. I feel like I want to give him the benefit of the doubt at this point because he's only, you know, it's, it's his rookie year heading into his second year now. Uh, but you're certainly right. He did ball out and, you know, match the same level of play that Josh Norman was producing. Exactly. I just, I don't understand how, I, I just, it, to me, this seems like it's a case of where the emotion has gotten involved and, it's as if the owner has stepped in and one of the biggest issues any any NFL team can have is when their their NF, uh, their owner is getting in the way of the true personnel guys making the decisions. And I mean, unless your name is Jerry Jones and you've got like a, a wealth of experience going on there, the best thing that you can do is to defer to the very guys that you've hired. And in this case, Richardson... Just he couldn't handle what Gettleman was doing, the way he was treating some of the players, um, and he's fired him. Now, the the interim general manager is Marty Herney, and he's returning from Carolina. So he he was with Carolina quite quite a few years ago, and he's back, and he fired the pro personnel director Mark Konsk um, a short time ago. And it's interesting because Konsk had been in that position since the team's inception over 15 years ago. And I find it quite interesting that an interim general manager is making quite a big personnel move um, to a long-time personnel executive um, so so soon into his tenure. To me, it seems like maybe Her- um, Herney was hired on the condition of um, firing Konsk by Richardson, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's an interesting one. Have we heard anything that's come out about why that was done? No, I, cu- I couldn't find anything online. All I just found was the memo that he was fired. Yeah, and then right, I, okay. I, I did a bit of, bit of back reading and um, saw that he was the guy from um, from their their inception. On the, the There's a website, it's a, a, news, a news column. It's the, I think it's the Charlotte Observer. And they had a really good article about... Um, the inside story as to why Gettleman was fired. And I mean, it's it's probably about a uh, 15, 20 minute read, but it's it's definitely worth it for anyone who wants to get a bit more, to dive in a bit more into this. So we'll, we'll post that up on our Any Given Monday Twitter account. So be sure to look out for that in the future. Now, lastly, in our NFL roundup, we've got a franchise tag update. So the deadline to getting these deals done, it was a few days ago. Now, Dunk, you've got some news for us. Le'Veon Bell, is he re-signing long-term in Pittsburgh? Well, not as yet, but if they pay him the money he wants to be paid, then I'm sure he'll have no problem with it. Uh, He's pushing for positionless pay, Nad. So a a quote came out uh, from Le'Veon, and it's interesting. We'll make the point that it's from Le'Veon, not from his agent. It's from Le'Veon himself. He's calling to be paid like a number one running back and a number two wide receiver. That was the quote that came out from Le'Veon. So, look, the guy has pretty well redefined the running back role uh, in in the modern game, almost single-handedly. Now you've got kids coming through that want to be Le'Veon Bell and and are adopting his running style. And you watch the way he goes about it, and it's phenomenal to watch. 
Having said that, I mean, the game is relative. You are judged against the people that play the same position as you. So it's impossible to assess the value that Le'Veon Bell brings to a team relative to a guy like Brady. You just can't make that assessment. But you can make the assessment of, you know, what value does Le'Veon Bell bring to the team versus Ezekiel Elliott. No, exactly. Oh, no, go on. And and that is why I think as much as Le'Veon might want to push for positionless pay, it's never going to happen, and it, it can't for that very reason. Yeah, he, he's trying to push the boundaries a little bit too far. I mean, like, he, he really needs to just take the one-year deal and, and suck it up. But realistically, the contract that he had in front of him was lucrative. It would have made him, if I remember correctly, it would have made him the number one um, paid running back in the league. And clearly, this is this is an attempt by Bell to get more money out of the Steelers. Um, it's very telling, though, that this talk is coming from him and not his agent. To me, that represents that he's going against the advice of his agent, and his agent yeah. would have said, "Look, you need to take this deal." Um, I really do think that had look, let's say for argument's sake that Le'Veon does get this positionless pay now. That opens up a whole massive can of worms long term because you're going to see so many guys pushing for such pay in the future. I mean, Exhibit A would be Odell Beckham. Oh, without a doubt. You know, he, he's going to be a guy that's... He, he's looking to be the number one paid player in the league. So that that contract, that's that's going to be a, a, a head spinner for sure. Here's the thing, though, Nads. Even if they introduce positionless pay, it won't make a difference. You'll still have quarterbacks and edge rushes as the two highest-paid categories of players. You will. I think you'll see a lot more holdouts, though. Yeah, but that's not going to benefit anybody. No, like, precisely. Odell Beckham can ask to be the highest-paid player in the league all he wants. Not a single team is going to do it. No, of course not. No, unless you have like oodles of cap space and you, you literally can't spend it on anyone else, then you might, but... If if he wanted to earn more money, um, he should have learned to throw a little bit better in high school. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, exactly, it's, exactly it's really right. It's that simple. It's that yeah. simple. And I mean, the guy's going to be getting paid the better part of what thirteen to fifteen million dollars a year. Um, I, I don't mean to be cynical, but if that's not enough to help provide for both you and like the rest of your inner circle, you know, for for the the better part of your lifetime, given that he'd be getting that for over five years, you're looking at a sixty plus million dollar deal. Um, something's amiss. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to get into that, but I, I completely share your view. Let's keep moving. No deal done for Kirk Cousins, Nads. No, this this is one that it seems to get it gets messier by the day. Um, it seems like they're both playing a game of chicken where. Neither one actually really wants to to get run over, but at the same time, they kind of want to get run over. Um, Bruce Allen, who's the the head guy in in Washington, he he even got Cousins' first name mixed up half a dozen times in a press conference <laughs> regarding Cousins barely a week ago. So, to me, that says everything you really need to know about the relationship between Cousins and the Redskins. Um, it seems like there's just so much immaturity on both sides. Yeah, and look, I've been I've been saying this since the start of the off season when we were first talking about these tags. Heck, I've been saying it off air for longer than that. Kirk Cousins is not the franchise guy in Washington. 
if he was the franchise guy in Washington, he'd already have a long-term deal and we wouldn't even be having this discussion. So the fact that, you know, there's still this back and forth, there's still no deal, you know, the relationship is all over the place. As you said, a lot of immaturity, basically a game of chicken. When is the Redskins front office going to actually come to their senses and go, well, we can't make up our mind about this guy, ergo we've already answered our own question? Uh, you know, it's it's one of those where they don't they don't want to be coming across as a team that's rebuilding, but at the same time they're they're in a state of like just they're kind of floating in no man's land at the moment. And I think if we look at all past franchise quarterbacks in the league, how many of them have had issues in which they've hit the free agent market? In in the last decade, I can think of. Okay, Peyton Manning was one, and that was only because of... Because of the neck. Yeah, the neck injury, which, like, not many people were really sure how he would go. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I personally didn't think that he was going to come back. I thought he was done, and sure, they got a few years out of him afterwards, but even then, it, it, it took two years, but he, even even in 2012, when he first went to, to the Broncos, he was still throwing up ducks. It was just that... His yep. cerebral, cerebral... I was going to say, he's yeah. one of the most cerebral quarterbacks you're ever going to meet. So if he's struggling to do it... Yeah, yeah. you know, like his intelligence on the field made up for the shortcomings. But as as the career went on in Denver, it became more and more an issue. Um, sure, they won, a, they won a Super Bowl with him, but it wasn't because of him in the end. It was no. because of that defense. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other one that you have to look at is Drew Brees when he was in San Diego with the Chargers. Yeah. And he was coming off a major shoulder injury. Uh, he had so- shoulder surgery. The Chargers, more or less, they, they weren't convinced by him. They had drafted, well, they drafted Eli Manning number one, who said he wasn't going to go to go to San Diego. So they organized a trade with the Giants to get Philip Rivers. So there was a draft they trade, and um, the rest was really history. That that meant that Breeze was. Um, not going to be hanging around. Rivers was their guy. And I mean, it's worked out well for San Diego. And dare I say, it's worked out pretty well for um, for Drew Brees in New Orleans. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting one. But th- this kind of goes to my point, Nads. When you have franchise guys, they don't hit the free agency market. No, exactly. Heck, they, don't, they very rarely get tagged. It's This is the whole thing with Kirk Cousins. If the Redskins haven't already signed him to a long-term deal, then they just shouldn't, and they should look in other directions because they've already answered their own question. They already know that he's not the guy because you don't have doubts about your franchise guy. You're basically putting your entire organization in one guy's hands. If you have any shred of a doubt, then he's not the guy for you. It's as simple as that. Precisely. I think the crazy thing about this all is that he could potentially be capped again in... uh... 2018 you could get the tag and if he gets the tag in 2018 his cap number will be a ridiculous 34 million now that that will make him well Derek Carr's the highest paid at the moment I think he's at 25 million a year so that's 9 million over I think by the end of this year we're going to see some some contracts hitting if if not 30 million I think it's going to be very close but even so this tag number um, it's going to blow it out the water. Yeah, and I, I think the Redskins would be, it would be ludicrous for them to do this. I just, yeah, I, I think it, that's just, just a ridiculous amount of money, particularly for somebody who you know could walk out the door the next year. 
No, exactly. And I mean, look, the crazy thing is there are going to be quite a few teams in the league that are going to have a market for Cousins. I mean, you've got the Browns there who, okay, they've, they've drafted Deshaun Kaiser. They've got Osweiler there. They, they've got a, Yeah, they've got a few the pieces. Best of the three names. <laughs> Uh, you've also got San Francisco. I mean, they, they've got hot garbage there at the quarterback position. Um, same goes for the New York Jets. But in particular, I want, I want to mention the Browns and the 49ers because they've got quite a bit of cap space coming up next season. And potentially, they could offer a ridiculous deal for Cousins, especially in the first two years of the deal, that is very similar to $30, $32 million a year. And that's just going to mean that um, Washington's not going to want to match that. No, and look, nor should they. As I said, if they're not sold on him now, they're not going to be sold on him in a year's time unless he somehow drags them to a Super Bowl. But let's be honest, the odds of that happening are not very high. No, that's not happening, especially in their division. It's one of the toughest divisions in football. Yeah. All right, let's keep it moving, Nads. Tremaine Johnson hasn't done a deal with the uh, with the Rams in Los Angeles. But this was one that I don't really think it, it made made too many shock waves. But this is a guy who well, he, he's playing on about sixteen million and change thereabouts this season, and that's just uh, it, it's unbelievable considering that Johnson has never established himself as a true number one corner in this league. Yeah, no, exactly right, and I think it's you know it's it's blindingly obvious that. And, and hindsight's always twenty twenty, but it's blindingly obvious that the Rams should have taken Janoris Jenkins and they had the option of between the two of them. They had both um, of them. They had both of them. They could yeah. have picked one. Like, Blind Freddy could have said that Janoris Jenkins needed to be the guy, and they, they picked the wrong one. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of trepidation going on, especially because Wade Phillips has come in as the new defensive coordinator in Los Angeles. So there is a chance, we all, we all know that Wade likes a certain type of corner. I mean, look what he had in Denver, look what he's had in Houston uh, in the past, even in Dallas when he was there. So um, Phillips is a guy that I, I would trust um, to get to get a defense right. And if, if he's, uh, how can I word this? It's almost like I would, I would definitely be listening to Phillips um, in terms of whether he believes that like Johnson can be a cornerstone of, of Phillips's defense going forward. And I mean, I'd be surprised if they hadn't let Phillips have some input on this contract. Yeah, look, I think you've, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there, Nads. Wade Phillips, preeminent defensive guy in football, certainly going to have some involvement. When you've got him running your scheme, you want him to have the pieces he wants in place. Talking about the Rams, though, I do want to move on to another little uh, tidbit that's been happening in the offseason. Now that we've got training camps, mate, we've had some holdouts, and the Rams have had arguably the biggest holdout so far. Aaron Donald hasn't reported to training camp. Yeah, this is this is one of the biggest names in pro football, if not uh, if not the biggest name in um, on the defensive side of the ball, that's for sure. I'd be putting him up there in the top two or three guys, and... Like he he's a cornerstone of any defense. He's pretty much uh, when when we start talking about our interior defensive line rankings, I'm sure that both of us will have him as number one. I don't think that's a doubt. That, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, he's looking to be the number one paid player, and look, I think the deal eventually will get done. Um, how soon it gets done, I'm not sure. Um, from what I've heard, I don't think they're really that close on a deal. So. That, that's definitely a watch this space moment, that's for sure. 
Yeah, it it really is. And it's one of those, you know, as outsiders, we can sit here and go, just pay the man, pay him whatever he wants. Don't care how much it is, just pay him. It's but easy when it's not the, our money. Exactly right. <laughs> but the longer that the holdout goes on, the more damage it causes. You know, you don't get that those those early training camp reps. You don't get that, that chemistry with your team, that understanding of your scheme and so on and so forth. So the longer the holdout goes on, the more issues there are going to be. Now, I have no doubts that Aaron Donald is going to be keeping himself physically in shape, um, but you're still missing those reps that you really, really need. But especially considering that they are moving to a new defense. They're moving to yeah. Wade Phillips's defense, but at the same time, here's a lineman. Um, Phillips's scheme is pretty simple in that it's a one-gap, single-gap scheme. Um, so he's not really going to have to be making too many reads it's more a case of okay this is the a b or c you need to hit it and hit it hard so yeah i think if there was any type of player that you'd want to have a hold out it would be along your along that type of line yeah, in, in in the scheme but that being said um it, it's never a good sign and no, it just right means that these things get messy and it, it, it's it's not good for the team as a whole Nah. And there's been one other major holdout, Mads, that's a little bit closer to home for you, Donald Penn. Yeah, this this one is... Uh, I, I want to say that I saw it coming, but I kind of did and I kind of didn't. Um, Donald Penn's getting roughly about $7 million this year. Um, he's ranked, I think he's the 11th highest paid player according to over the cap in terms of tackle money. And he wants to be in the top 10. So, and I think number 10 is roughly $10 million per year. So there's a bit of a, there's a little bit of a gap there. Um, look, this, this deal is going to get done. At the end of the day, they've just invested $125 million into Derek Carr. They're not going to have, um, they're not going to have a, um, a poor, a poor left tackle protecting him. They're going to want to have the best tackle. Um, I spoke to a few sources affiliated with the Raiders like in the last 24 hours about this and they all expect a deal to get done. They won't be surprised given that Penn has just the one year left on his deal. They won't be surprised if it's extended by about another two years in which this year and next year have a longer, uh, let me correct that, It's they'll have a higher average per year. So you could be looking at maybe 10 to, 10 to $11 million per year um, and then the final year of that being 2019, that could be a year where they could cut him with no loss. So it's one to watch. They've known about this for quite some time, though. Penn, Penn's agent went to the Raiders back in June, so they still haven't got a deal done. Um, it's certainly, they're not happy about where they're at, but there's enough time to find a middle ground. And I mean, Donald Penn has been in the league for long enough. He's only missed, I think, one game in his entire like 10 or 11 year career. So you know that the guy's going to be durable. He's very reliable. It's the same scheme. So you, I don't think there's too much to worry about going forward. He's someone that can miss a bit of time early on now, and he'll be able to plug in and they won't miss a beat. I think you're spot on. I'm not going to be able to add anything to that. Um, and just to wrap up our little uh, update section for the NFL offseason, a few bits of news and notes, I guess. Um, Solomon Thomas has now signed his rookie deal with the 49ers, as has Gary and Conley with the Raiders. 
which just leaves Corey Davis as the only first rounder who hasn't signed no, a deal yet. Corey Davis has signed. I saw he that signed. today. Yes, he signed with the Titans. Um, as far as I'm aware, he has signed his deal. I was on the NFL.com's website and they said he had signed it. So okay, well that's that's every first rounder now that's, that's yeah. signed up. Yeah, um, that's a all couple, done. couple other little notes. Um, the Steelers are in discussions to sign Mike Tomlin to a longer deal. Um, Jarrell Casey from the Tennessee Titans has signed a four-year, $60.4 million extension with $40 million guaranteed. Which is, I just want to say, that's going to be the the bare minimum as to what Donald's going to be looking for. Donald oh, will be, will without be a looking doubt. for a bit more than that. Casey is a, is a gun. He is elite, but Donald's on another level. Yep, uh, 100% agree. Um, and the last few little bits and pieces... Uh, Joe Flacco expected to only miss another week with his back injury, but uh, there are a few concerns around Baltimore because Ryan Mallett, who's currently the number two, has not been impressing. And if Flacco's injury drags on a little bit longer than expected, then um, Joe, uh, John Harbaugh was saying that you know the team might be looking at a guy like Colin Kaepernick um, as a fringe starter to add to their roster. Um, Did you see the backlash that happened with fans there? No, I didn't actually. So there were quite a the, the Baltimore's front office was inundated by like fans saying, "Look, we don't want Kaepernick on our team," and I think it's a really bad message that if if um, the the front office starts listening to the fans and the fans become the front office more or less, you know that you might as well just pack up your stuff and leave. As soon as you're listening yeah. to the fans, it's it's you got major issues. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's very true. Yeah. So the last couple bits of uh, contract news: Devonta Freeman. He's in talks with the Falcons for over a five-year extension that they're expecting will put him in the upper echelon of highest-paid running backs. Um, and to, just in case, to protect himself, he's taken out a $10 million insurance policy um, bef- like in advance of him signing this agreement in case he gets injured beforehand. Uh, and the other little bit of news, Jarvis Landry yet to receive an offer from the Dolphins and is expected to play out the rest of his contract. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Landry has like he he's a true number one, but at the same time they've got some pretty good receivers in in Miami. They've got Devonte Parker, who was a first round pick a few years back, and they've also got the the deep threat Kenny Stills. So yep. that's going to be an interesting one to watch. He could he could be the odd one out going forward, especially if they don't want to pay the three of them. The last the last little tidbit I want to talk about um, is Blake Bortles. Um, it was reported today that under the lights. Um, in the Jacksonville's training camp, he threw a ridiculous five interceptions in the one practice. So it's it's nice to see that um, Blake's really improved on those mechanics in yeah. the offseason. Old habits die hard, Nats. All right, Nad, so let's get into some rankings discussion now. We're doing uh, linebackers and edge rushers today. Um, so I want to start with our linebackers. We'll get through these fairly quickly, I think, because I think there's going to be a lot more discussion about the edge rushers. Um, so why don't you start off with your five uh, linebackers? Okay, so at number five, I've got Sean Lee from the Cowboys. At number four, I've got Navarro Bowman. From the 49ers. At number three from the Seattle Seahawks, we've got Bobby Wagner. At number two from Chicago, Jarrell Freeman. And number one, the, the great Panther, Luke Keekley. 
Yeah, right. Okay, so I have the same five guys, just in a different order. Um, number five, I've got Jarrell Freeman. Number four, I've got Navarro Bowman. Number three, I've got Sean Lee. Number two, Bobby Wagner. And number one, Luke Keekley as well. There's not really much to say about these guys. These these are true elite players. And I think after the top five, there's quite a bit of a drop-off later. I didn't find it quite difficult to like fill the five. Once I filled the five, though, getting like your number six through ten, it seemed they were in a different like tier of... Um, uh, in terms of like their talent level, I'd probably tend to agree with that. I had a few names that I was bandying about, but certainly none that really pushed for the top five. Um, did you think of guys like Danny Trevathan, Derek Johnson, and maybe Brandon Marshall? Um, I I didn't have those guys. I was actually looking at CJ Mosley was one guy that I was looking at. Yeah. Okay. Um, I did consider Trevathan, but he's he's been a bit of a liability at times. Um, so I didn't really, like, I didn't rank him too much. I, I looked at Zach Brown. I think if you isolate the first half of his season last year, if you look at just the first eight games, I think you'd probably be saying look, what he was doing there was... Look, it was top five stuff, but then the last eight games, he really dropped off. So... But, Look, there wasn't really too much going on there. I think the five guys that we've both listed, um, they're more than deserving of being there, and it's they, they were simple choices in the end. Yeah, it really wasn't a tough one this time. For me, though, I, if I'm going to split them, I'd say Luke Keekley was like an absolute no-brainer. He's kind of in his own tier for me, and then the next four, I'm really not fussed what order you put them in. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a scrabble game there. Yeah, they're kind of in their own group of four, but I do think Luke Keekley is far and away the best of the five. Yeah, I really hope that he comes back from his concussion. And so do I. Is able to ball out because he, he's just he's one of those guys who makes you. He almost like takes you back like twenty years back to when football was really like tough. Yep. You know, I don't want to say it's not tough now, but back then, with the way that the guys were flying around and they were hitting with like true, true velocity, um, that that's what Keekley's like. And to me, the, the the only other guy that I think is very comparable in the way he plays is Bobby Wagner. Um, when Bobby Wagner is flying around as yeah. well, yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, like heck, he got an MVP vote a few years ago by Tony Dungy. Which, <laughs> Even though that was like utterly just stupid, I guess, but it, it did say it did speak of like Wagner's um, ability in the game. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, I don't think there's really too much more we can talk about there. So why don't we move no, on to let's the, talk about the real stuff? Yeah, the edge rushes. Plenty to talk about here. I reckon. Let, let's hear your list. All right. So I just want to throw out there an honourable mention to Joey Bosa because the guy came in. He only played twelve games last year. And he looked like, he probably, in hindsight, he would have been the number one pick. If you if you look at what he did last year, it was just absolutely crazy opposite uh, Melvin Ingram, who, he was he was my number seven guy. So Bosa okay. was six, Ingram, uh, Ingram was seven. So um, my, my top five, I'll start from, from number five. We've got from the Arizona Cardinals, Chandler Jones. From Kansas City, we've got Justin Houston. 
Number three with the Houston Texans, we've got Whitney Merciless. Number two and number one, they're both in the AFC West. At number two, I've got Von Miller of the Broncos. And number one, the Defensive Player of the Year from the Raiders, Khalil Mack. Yeah, okay. Um, Interesting. There's going to be plenty of discussion here. So, uh, I'll start out and say I'm going to go the other way around. I've got Von Miller as number one and Khalil Mack as 1A because I really couldn't split the two of them. Um, they are, they're in their own level. They are just separate from everybody else on this list. Um, but I decided rather than trying to split them, they're basically both insanely True good. True there, mate. True fence Mate, well, if you, were, <laughs> if you weren't a Raiders fan, you'd be having a much harder time, let me tell you. Um, okay, from there, I've got number five, and I'm going to be interested to see where he was on your list. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan from the Washington Redskins. Jeez, okay. Yeah, number four, I had Joey Bosa. Remember, I was projecting this forward to next year, and I think he was excellent last year and will be better next year. And then number three, which I'm really intrigued, Vic Beasley. Okay, I can see see that there. Yeah, he led the league in sacks last year. Yeah, and I think he's going to be just as good, if not better, next year. Interesting stat for you, though, Nads. Vic Beasley, I was reading... Doing, doing some research on him and reading um, where he lined up uh, on the field. And in his first season, where he was nowhere near as good as he was last year, and people were sort of questioning him whether he's going to be a bust, um, he took you know a relatively even number of snaps from the right side and the left side. Mm. Now, last year, 15 and a half sacks, all but one came from the left side only. And if you look at his heat map, it's basically just him playing on the left side of the ball now. So I think... Yeah, that's the, interesting. Yeah, the coaching staff in Atlanta have figured out... I don't know what it is, what 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 whether it's, you know... Physically, he just feels more comfortable on that side. Maybe it's a mental thing, to think, you know, different angles, different... I, I'm not sure what it is. But the coaching staff have clearly identified that that was an issue that he was having um, and have been able to fix that line him up exclusively on the left-hand side, um, and his production has obviously, you know, been insane as a result of it. So I just thought that was a little interesting stat for you. Yeah, look, it, it's interesting, but I think it's a bit of a trend that we're seeing in the NFL. I mean, for for so long, it's been talked about that you need to protect the blind side with your left tackle. And, okay, that's it's great to talk about that, but we're seeing so many defensive ends now who are coming off that strong side off that left yep. or the left edge of the defense the right edge of the the offense so they're getting to go against their right tackle i mean Khalil Mack the majority of snaps he spends is going against the right tackle same goes for Von Miller we're seeing it with Vic Beasley now um it's no longer a blindside game no it's really changing all right, so I, I'll just touch on a couple of your names quickly. Chandler Jones and Whitley Merciless were both in my honourable mention category, um, so I don't have an issue with you there. I do want to throw a name at you that I was spitballing around the place that I didn't include but was thinking about it. Daniel Hunter from the Vikings. Okay, this is my good friend Dylan. Loves to uh, talk, talk to me about Hunter quite a bit. He's been, He's a guy that... I think has a lot of potential, whether I look at his, based on stats only, you could easily say, okay, yes, he should be there. I think he got 12 and a half sacks 12 last and a half, year. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
he's only he's entering his third year, so there's a lot of scope to come with him. Um, I just question whether he's a true pass rusher. Um, I look at who the Vikings have on defense, and I do wonder if he's a product of the other players on the field. I mean, you look at someone, like another team I'll, I'll throw up there. You know, you've got Buffalo last season. They had a, who was it? Lorenzo Alexander had like 10 sacks for the season, and he had never had anything over like like two or three sacks for an entire year and comes out in his like eighth season in the league and gets 10 yeah. sacks on. Um and you look at who they've got in Buffalo, Marcel Darius, um, Jerry Hughes. You know they got they got some ballers that out there that makes it a little bit easier for for the third guy, like supposedly. You know, um, so I do wonder whether Hunter is a byproduct of having like Everson Griffin, like, on, Anthony on the Barr, team. and then a good exactly. secondary. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I mean, from my point of view, you can't argue with the production. Twelve and a half sacks, led defensive lineman in the league. Um, but again, you know, it's a fair argument that you make. I'll be interested to see how he goes this year. If he can, you know, go close to, if not repeat, what he did this year, uh, this last season, um, then I think he certainly earned his position in the discussion purely by, you know. He's got the weight of evidence behind him. But at this point, you're right. He's a little bit, you know, there are question marks. Having said that, theoretically, you could make the same arguments against Joey Bosa. Yeah, look, you could. You could, for sure. I think, but at the same time, I look at the film of Bosa and the stuff that he was doing, um, it projects a lot, a lot easier than it does for Hunter. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. just the, the, the film that the... the I hate to say it, but the eye test. The eye test. You I know, mean, with, with a lot of these rankings things, a lot of it is the eye test. Well, yeah, it's all perception. Yeah. I, I, all right, I do want to get your view on Ryan Kerrigan, though. Okay, so Kerrigan's been a six-year starter in, in Washington. He hasn't missed a single game. The guy... The word that comes out to mind when it comes to Ryan Kerrigan is durable, and then the other one is consistent. You know that you're always going to get anywhere between like 8 and 10 sacks a year, and you know that he's going to be reliable for you for the entire for the entire season. Um, whether he's in my top five, guys, I'm not sure, but in terms of, you know, if we were talk, to talk about reliability being like the, the blue chip, um, he would probably be number one for me. Oh, without a doubt. I, I love the way he goes about it. I love what he brings to the, the Redskins defense. I think he kind of holds them together. He's a guy that I think, you know, you talk about guys like Bosa and Daniel Hunter who get help from, you know, are they the, the product of the players they've got around them? Kerrigan really doesn't have a great deal of talent around him in Washington, and yet he still puts up very good numbers. He's been top five in sacks for the last three years from the linebacker position, fifth in 2014 and 2015, and then equal fifth in 2016. Um, the guy is just an absolute baller. As you say, hasn't missed a game. I rate him so highly. I wanted to get him on a list somewhere, and I couldn't put him... He's certainly not an, a linebacker, like an, like an inside guy. So I had to put oh, him no, in the, I had to put him in this category, and then when I was ranking him, I was like, well, you know, he's ahead of guys like... Um, Danielle Hunter I arguably could have put him ahead of Joey Bosa but I thought he might scale a little bit better going into next year um, I, I think he's 
very deserving of his number five spot based on his form. And as you say, the eye test, we hate to rely on it, but when I watch him play, he's just a baller. No, he is. He's he's definitely a guy that you can build build a defense around in maybe not in that elite that elite category in terms of um, the top top range, the top end talent, but certainly as a number two guy on an elite defense, he would he would really be quite the player. Uh, one other name I wanted to throw at you, Brian Arakpo. Did you factor him in at all? I've considered it a little bit, but not not overly. I think he's a few tiers down on the on the guys we've mentioned. Yeah, no, I tend to agree, but I did read some articles that had him, you know, in the discussion, and I was, I, you know, wasn't aware that he'd been playing, like, wasn't aware of his form, and you look at the stats, and you sort of go, okay, well, he's been serviceable, but hasn't really been a, a world beater. Um, any other names that you considered? Not really, I think we've covered it. All right, well, let's move on then. Let's deal with our next eight quarterbacks. Testing, testing, testing. testing. Uh, yep, okay, I'm ready when you are. If you're ready, I'll introduce it. All right, let me put that down. Let me put this. Okay. All right. All right, so that's the end of our position rankings for this episode, but we've still got our quarterbacks that we're working our way through. So... So far, we've gone 32 to 17 for each of us. So, Nads, before we get into 16 to 9, why don't we just run through the bottom 16 quarterbacks for each of us so everyone, all our listeners, can remember where we're up to. Okay, so at 32, I've got Tom Savage. At 31, Blake Bortles. 30, Jared Goff. 29, Trevor Simeon. 28 was Brian Hoyer. 27, Cody Kessler. 26, Josh McCown. 25, Joe Flacco. 24 was Tyrod Taylor, 23 Mike Glennon, 22 Carson Wentz, 21 Sam Bradford, number 20 was Dak Prescott, number 19 Andy Dalton, 18 Carson Palmer, and 17 Alex Smith. All right, and I had from 32 Brian Hoyer, 31 Tom Savage, 30 Mitchell Trubisky, remember we had the discrepancy as to who was starting. Uh, 29, Jared Goff, 28, Josh McCown, 27, Trevor Simeon, 26, Blake Bortles, 25, Sam Bradford, 24, Cody Kessler, 23, Ryan Tannehill, 22, Tyrod Taylor, 21, Joe Flacco, 20, Carson Wentz, 19, Kirk Cousins, 18, Andy Dalton, and 17, Alex Smith. So, with that, let's hear from 16 to 9, Nads, who you got? All right, so number 16, we've got Mr. Average being Ryan Tannehill from the Miami Dolphins. Number 15 from the Tampa Bay Bucks, Jameis Winston. Number 14, Kirk Cousins from the Washington Redskins. Number 13 from the now Los Angeles Chargers, Philip Rivers. Number 12 from Carolina, we've got Cam Newton. Number 11 from Indianapolis, Andrew Luck. Number 10, from the New York Giants, we've got Eli Manning. And number nine from the Tennessee Titans, Marcus Mariota. Wow, okay. Yeah, right, all right. Well, number 16, I've got Dak Prescott. Number 15, Carson Palmer. Number 14, Jameis Winston. 
Number 13, Marcus Mariota. Number 12, Eli Manning. Number 11, Cam Newton. And number 10, Philip Rivers. And then number 9, I've got Matthew Stafford. Okay, so for the most part, for the most part, we've got them around the mark. We, we see them pretty similarly. Yeah, it's the same sort of group of guys um, with a few exceptions. And then there are obviously some discrepancies within the numbering. The one I want to talk about that really jumped out at me, Marcus Mariota. Uh, I rate You're high on him. I rate this kid a lot. I mean, you look at what he had last year in terms of his talent around him. He had nothing. He had a running game and that was it. And Delaney Walker, who's... Look, I mean, on most teams, he would be a pretty... Uh, uh, and a slightly above average tight end. Um, Mariota, uh, there, there's something about this guy. I mean, I remember even going back to watching him at Oregon and thinking, geez, this kid can play. And, and looking at him now, there's there's nothing that's... By the end of the year, he really was carrying that team. Um, he, for, There's just something about him. He just reads the play so well. And um, he's, he's a leader. He's a leader. He throws a really nice ball. You know, it's easy to to pigeonhole these guys. Oh, okay, he can run, run around quite a bit. Um, but no, he can he can throw it. He's a, a pass-first quarterback that just happens to have great legs. Yeah, look, I obviously I rate him quite highly. He's in my top half. Um, for me, the two that I, I always evaluate him and Jameis at the same time because they were drafted one and two. Um, they were the, the new, I guess, the new kids on the block, the new real starting quarterbacks ever since you had, you know, the, the bunch before that was, um, you know, Luck, RG3 and Russell Wilson. And then we've had a little bit of a gap and then it's Jameis and Marcus that you, you're always going to compare to each other. Now, for me, Marcus Mariota is a better quarterback than Jameis Winston. And I think, well, obviously your rankings say the same thing. Um, but I'm not sure I have him quite as high as you do. What did you actually end up having him? Nine? Nine. Yeah. Remember, this is where we project them to be this year. And I have yeah. I have the Titans winning the South. So I think if you, if you look at yeah, it like that... Yeah, by default, you have yeah. to have that. Yeah. And, no, that's and then fair. You, you also consider that I think he's going to have quite a big year given that he's got some more talent around him this year. He's got Eric Decker... Who he was a touchdown machine with the Jets. Um, yeah. He's coming off Corey uh, Davis an, an injury well. last year again. Yeah, they've got Corey Davis, who was their their first round pick. So he's going to have more weapons. They're still going to have the elite running game with Demarco Murray and Derrick Henry. So those guys aren't slowing down. Um, that that's going to be a juggernaut of the, an offense. I t- I tell you what, week one, the Raiders are playing Nashville. Um, no, they're playing in Nashville. They're playing the Titans. That's going to be like one of the best games of that week. I know that much. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I Look, I certainly agree. I think he's a very talented player, and I'm really interested to see where he goes, not least of the reasons being that I'm a Colts fan and we have to play him twice a year. Um, but yeah, got him quite highly. Just on the topic of the South and the Colts, I know you've got Andrew Luck in this category. I think it's best if we reserve judgment on that and have that discussion next week because he's in my top eight. Um, and I think it would make more sense to have that conversation there rather than have it now. No, for sure. We'll have it We'll have it next week. I will say, though, today came out that Luck said that he might not be might back not be there. For, for week one. So I just yeah. want to get your thoughts on that. Look, I think it's a case of short-term pain, long-term gain. 
I actually, as a fan and as a realistic fan, I kind of like the sound of that because that tells me that he's not rushing it. He's going to do all the right things in his rehab and his recovery so that when he does come back, he's going to be not just, you know, right, but he's going to be better than he was before. Um, so if it means he's going to miss week one and come back, even if it's a couple weeks, one week one, week two, I'm okay with that. I really am. As long as he's doing all the things right in the meantime to get there. I'd rather that than he rushes back, gets injured again, and we miss him for a longer period of time. True, good call. The way I look at it is I see just a red flag that it's... Um, one of the biggest things that I look at when especially discussing injuries is I hate, I really don't like it when sports teams put out a time frame saying, okay, okay, bye, let's say by five to six months, they'll be back. And five months comes and we still haven't heard anything. And then to me, it's a real red flag when they put it out there and then they say, oh, well, now he's not committing to to potentially being there like two months later than what what the expected time frame was. And so you have to ask yourself a few questions. You have to say, has there been a hiccup with his rehab? Has it just not progressed the way it wanted? Was there a complication going on from the surgery? You know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of issues going around with him at the moment. Um, we're not going to be able to answer them. Um, it's really going to be a case of let's wait and see how he goes when he comes back. Um, I can't see it being a good thing that he's likely going to miss all of training camp and the preseason, especially given that the Colts look that they need they need everything that they can get at this point. They're they're certainly he's he's what makes everything go um, on the offensive side of the ball. So I think, especially without luck, you're looking at one of the most anemic offenses in the league. I think you, you kind of you hit the nail on the head with a couple of points there, but I think you've also, you know, you're, you're jumping to a few conclusions in the sense that it's, it's as, as much as technology has come along and, and our knowledge of medical science has improved, it's still not an exact science. You can't look at an injury and go, okay, you are going to be back in exactly four weeks. Oh, no, you're going no. to be back in exactly three agree. months and two weeks, right? So the, the problem you've got is when you're running a sports organization, your fans want to know when you're, like roughly, when your star player is coming back. So you've got to give them some indication of that. So when you, you, you might say five, six months and you get to five months and you're still not quite there, I don't actually have a problem as long as you keep you know updating it and I'm not jumping to the conclusion that there's been a hiccup or a complication or something went wrong. It's not an exact science. You can't give an exact prediction of when he's going to be back and then make sure he's there right on the dot. Now, from all the reports that I've heard, there's not been any problems so far. Um, he's just taking his time, doing all the right things, making sure he does the rehab so that he comes back better. I have... I think I read that he's now started throwing again. Just, like, he's just started throwing. So, I mean, that's a step in, a right, in the right direction. Um, I assume that even though he might not play week one, yes, I agree with you that missing out on training camp and preseason is obviously not going to help. Um, but I certainly think he'll still be involved in some capacity, um, but obviously not to the standard or the number of reps as you may have wanted otherwise. Yeah, you've you've mentioned how like the way that 
you, you put time frames on things. And I agree with you there. You, you want to keep the fans updated. Just from my perspective, I would look at it as you almost want to um, under-promise and over-deliver. So when yeah. it comes to this kind of thing, you're almost, it, it, you're almost in a can't-win situation. Because if you say, let's, let's say we, you legitimately think he's going to come back in, let's say, seven months. So you say, okay, well, this could put, we, we potentially think that this is going to be a eight, let's say eight to nine month injury. And then he comes back in seven. So you've, you've over delivered in that sense. But then at the same time, if you do say eight to nine months, people are going to start to panic because they're going to start to say, well, that's going to mean that he's going to be missing regular season games. So yep. it, you are in a cut in a can't win situation. I do think it's still a red flag that he doesn't want to discuss a possible return date at the moment. Um, that being said, you, you give him the benefit of the doubt and you want to see how it progresses, but you certainly, you'd like to see some positive progress being mentioned in the next uh, three to four weeks that gives you an indication that he's not going to be missing significant time. No, I, I agree with that part of your assessment. Um, but as we said, we'll talk about him in more detail next week. Um, a couple of other guys I wanted to talk about We'll get your view on Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, Matthew Stafford. Okay, so let's start at the top. Let's start at Eli. So I really like Eli Manning. I think that he's one of those bizarre quarterbacks. He can be extremely like Aaron Rodgers-like in the way that he just gets things done. Or he can be Blake Bortles-like in that he just gets everything not done. Um he's got such a, a wide like range of like abilities in that he can either be hot and cold. That being said, look at what talent he's going to have around him this year. Um, they drafted Evan Engram with their first round pick. They've still got Sterling Shepard. They've got Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, Paul Perkins is a good running back. I I just look at I look at their offense and it was clicking at the end of the year and I really think that Manning is just he's going to be a byproduct of that and he's going to have a really solid year. It's an interesting one. You, you're certainly right in the fact that you know when he's at his best he is elite. When he's at his worst he is terrible. Like there is there is a massive chasm between his best and his worst. Um, I. You know, as we said, with, with these rankings, we're projecting them going forwards. And for me, like, obviously, I had no problems with putting him in, you know, the top 16. I do have some doubts, though. He's now 36. So he's getting a little bit older. Um, has he still got a year or two of good football? Anyway, I'm sure Easy. he does. Easily. Sure he does. But now we're, we're getting to the point where age is going to start creeping into the discussion for Eli Manning. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I have some questions. Obviously, his track record speaks for itself, um, not only in winning Super Bowls, but denying the Patriots from winning Super Bowls. <laughs> you know, um, he, let, let's not kid ourselves. In 2015, that's only two, two years ago, he, he threw for nearly 4,500 yards and 35 touchdowns. The, that that's that's elite numbers, and and that puts you like back off that season alone. If if you can go even close to replicating that, let's like you you're looking at a top ten quarterback. Yeah, no, that's fair. 
that's fair call. Um, especially, especially if they go close to winning the division, which I really do think that they could give Dallas a run for their money this year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. That one's always... I mean, that division's always interesting to watch, but particularly this year with this, some of the storylines that have been going on in the off-season. Um, I do want to ask, in the context of... Um, you, we, we touched on it earlier in the episode with the with the draft decision of the Chargers to pick Eli and then he said he wasn't going to go to San Diego and the trade with um, Philip Rivers. Who is the better quarterback out of those two, Eli and Philip? Okay, are we talking about what we think is going to happen this year or are we talking about um, over their whole career who's been the better quarterback? No, 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 not over their whole career, just going forward. Oh, I, th- I think that Eli is the better quarterback. Uh, okay, I think, interesting. I, yeah, I I think that Rivers throws. Uh, you know, he's a better deep ball thrower. He will he will give his receivers more chances to make plays. At the same time, with Rivers, his his propensity to throw a lot of a lot of crazy passes that go off. He also has a tendency to do one or two too many of those per game. I mean, last year, twenty one interceptions. It's too many. It is too many. Um, in fact, he and his, led the his league com- in Yeah, and his completion rate was only at 60% last year, which is, look, it's it's still okay, but in comparison to what it's been for the past past few years, I mean, he hasn't had a, a rate of... It was 60.4 last season, and it hasn't been that that low since 2007 when it was 60.2%. Usually he's operating at about 65, 66. So there's quite a drop-off there. Yeah, now look, I think you've got to keep in mind he did not have a lot of talent around him on the offensive side of the ball last year. Um, And in some respects, that's been a a story throughout his whole career. I did read an interesting... I can't remember who said it. It was an anecdote from a particular analyst. And they said that if Philip Rivers was playing for the Denver Broncos, he'd have three rings by now. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure it's that easy to say that because, you know, when it comes to a guy, like winning winning those kind of games, you can't turn the ball over. And if there's one thing that, you know, Rivers has been prone to doing throughout his career, it's throwing that interception at the wrong time. Um, it, he's not a guy that I can trust in the fourth quarter. No, and look, that's a fair criticism. If you look at the stats and you look at the the film, that's a fair like it's an entirely fair criticism. In a hypothetical sense, though, you've got to then you know scale that off against things like, well, he'd have better quality of receivers to throw to. Um, he's got a better a, a better defense. So the the theory is that you know you're not going to be chasing games. You're not going to be in situations where you need to make risky throws that may come off, may not. Um, all of that will factor into the number of interceptions that he's going to throw. So it's I, I, I think, look, as you say, you can't. It, it's difficult to make those sorts of calls and those assessments. I think three rings is probably a little bit far-fetched, but I, I would totally buy into if he'd played on the Broncos his whole career, he'd have at least a ring. He'd have, yeah, I, I agree that he would have one. Yeah, I, I can I can agree with you there. Um, that being said, he doesn't. Um, he's been with with the Chargers for his entire 13-year career or thereabouts. 
Yep. Um, and they still haven't been able to to get to get to that that championship game. And I mean, you you look at like the best quarterbacks in the league, and they make their receivers better. So you look at a guy like uh, look, Tom Brady, for instance. Even when he didn't have Gronkowski, and he didn't have a guy like Randy Moss. He made a guy like Wes Welker look like a champion. You think Julian Edelman's doing what he's doing in another team? Um, you know, he's more or less, they haven't really had a running game. Um, Brady has been able to make his guys better. Um, heck, look at Aaron Rodgers. He had James Jones, who led the league in touchdowns a few years ago. Then he went to, to Oakland and couldn't buy a touchdown over there and then was out of the league. Um, so it really, what separates like the good quarterbacks from the, the true elite guys is the fact that they make their, their average talent around them into true, truly great players for the system. And I'm not convinced that Rivers does that. Well, I'm not saying that Philip Rivers is an elite quarterback. I don't know if he's, well, in fact, I don't think he's in that discussion. Um, but at the same time, he hasn't exactly had amazing receivers around him. He's had. Let's let's not let's not Keenan, disparage. Keenan Allen has been yeah. good, but he's Keenan been off Allen, the field more than he's Let's talk about Anto- Antonio Gates. He's had Antonio Gates throughout Fair the call. prime of his career. Early on in his career, um, he had a prime Ladanian Tomlinson. Yep, I agree with that too. But neither of those are wide receivers. No, but they make you. They make you. Um, your, your offense run a lot easier. I mean, Ladanian Tomlinson was the best running back in the league, probably the best running back of the last 15 years. And Antonio Gates is probably the best tight end of the last 15 years. Mm, debatable, but yes, I'll, I'll pay it. It's, it'd go close. I mean, like if I looked at Antonio Gates and what he's done, that there aren't many more um, accomplished receivers than what he's done throughout his career. I mean... The, the obvious name of Rob Gronkowski springs to mind. 111 touchdowns, over 11,000 receiving yards. Oh, I'm not denying that Antonio Gates is a stud, or was a stud. Um, but, I mean, we've already gone through our tight end discussion, so I, I think we're, we're veering off track a little bit here. No, no, good call. And I don't think that either of us are arguing that Philip Rivers is elite. Because he's not. If he was, he'd be in our top eight and arguably our top five. No, for sure. Um, but look, it's just an interesting one that you, you've got. Like I said, with Jameis and Marcus and um, Andrew Luck and Russell uh, Russell Wilson and RG three, when you get guys playing quarterback that get drafted together, they're always going to be analysed together. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's an interesting comparison to see the two different careers of Eli and Philip Rivers, um, and particularly. How thing as I said with the hypothetical, how things might have changed. Um, we've been hashing this out for a while, so I want to see have you got any other names that you want to talk about? Look, let, let's talk a little bit about Matt Stafford and Cam Newton, and then we can wrap it up. Yep. So, what number did you have, Stafford? I think so nine. I've got, I've got Stafford at nine and Newton at eleven. Okay, so I, I don't. I have Stafford in my top eight. Yep. Um, let's talk about Cam Newton. I had him at number 12, so we, we see him pretty pretty, pretty similarly. Um, I think based off his... Oh, excuse me. Based off his last last 12 months, um, you wouldn't be putting him in the top half. He had a shocker last year. 
He really did. And as as I said, we're projecting forward, but if we were ranking him off last season, he'd be well, well down from where he is in my list. Yeah, I mean, he's had six years in the league and he's only thrown over 60% completion just twice. Hasn't done it since 2013. And in 2016, his completion rate was only 52.9%. Now, Look, that that's that's borderline. That's inept. That's what your your even your bad rookies don't throw that bad. I mean, like, I'm going to bring up Blake Bortles' numbers right now, and I, I reckon eight point nine last e- year. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting one. Um, I, look, I, there's, there's I'm no giving denying... him the benefit of the doubt. Well, yes, there's but there's no denying that Cam Newton is an athletic freak. Absolutely no denying that. I have long had a, and, and you know this from personal experience, I have had a pet peeve or a extreme dislike for mobile quarterbacks for as long as I've been following football. They just, and when I say mobile quarterbacks, I should point out, I have no problem with you having a quarterback who is mobile, but that is different to what I would describe as a mobile quarterback or a run-first quarterback. You look at the the league over the last 10, 15, 20 years, there has never been a run-first quarterback that's well, won a Super Bowl but really done anything meaningful. You know, Cam Newton got them to a Super Bowl, didn't win it. Michael Vick was relatively successful but never won a ring. And It just it doesn't work. You need to have a guy who is a pocket passer and an elite pocket passer and a pocket passer first and foremost that has athletic ability that can extend the play when he needs to, that can make plays with his feet when he needs to, not the other way around. Exactly. You know, and you talk about Newton getting getting the Panthers to the Super Bowl in 2015. Well, he threw 35 touchdowns that year. So, you know, he wasn't necessarily like just a, just a running quarterback. He, he was able no. to throw it around and he threw nearly 4,000 yards that year. So... He what he what didn't play your typical um, run run first guy. So I, I certainly think that if Newton isn't going to improve his passing abilities, um, you, we can forget about him being like a like a stud. Um, it's really a case of wait and see. I know that he's put a, a lot of effort into his body over the off season. So um, let, let, let's let's wait and see how he goes. Um, let's see how he goes with Kelvin Benjamin and Christian McCaffrey. I think there's a lot of potential in Carolina, but whether whether um, Newton is able to deliver it for him, I'm not sure. I will say, though, if he has another year like he did last year, um, dare I say, could we be looking at like them even potentially drafting a quarterback the year after? Possibly. I want to throw another hypothetical at you, Nads just to round up this Cam Newton discussion. You are the general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh-huh. And you have the choice between Alex Smith and Cam Newton. Who do you take? Alex Smith and Cam Newton, and you're the Kansas City Chiefs. You take... Oh, no, you take Alex Smith because you know that he's not going to give the game away. Yep, and I that, 100% agree with yeah, you. Yeah, that's, that's what I, they need. I would take Alex Smith over Cam Newton in that situation. Yeah, it, Newton needs this uh, schematically. He needs to be the right fit. And I've just brought up Newton's contract on over the cap, and he's contracted until twenty twenty. 
So end of 2020s his last season. Um, if they were to have any quarterback issues, um, they could be looking at potentially having $15 million in dead money if they decided to release Newton next year. So it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a contract you can get out of, but they're still going to be feeling it for a little while. So they're certainly yeah. going to be needing to bank on Newton um, delivering for them for the foreseeable future. No, and I think, as you said, we've got to give them the benefit of the doubt for next season at least. People have down years from, from time to time, so hopefully he can put the work in and bounce back and, and get back up to the standards that his you know expectations have been at. Exactly, and if there's one thing that Cam Newton is, it's a winner. He won in high school, he won in college, he was the number one pick in the draft, he's won an MVP, the guy knows how to get it done. It might not always be like flashy and pretty, but I wouldn't be betting against him at this stage. No, certainly not. All right, well, Nads, I think that pretty much wraps up our quarterback discussion. I know we mentioned Matthew Stafford. He's number nine for me, but I think that's a discussion that's better saved for next episode when we talk about your uh, our top eights because he's in your top eight. And at number nine, he's very close to my top eight, so I think it makes more sense to talk about him there as well. Yeah, he's, he's more in that the upper echelon of discussions than he is with the guys that we've mentioned today. So let's wait till next week for sure. All right, Dunk, it's that time of the week. It's time for the slam dunk. All right, Nad, so as you know, I've, I've taken the slam dunk in a few different directions uh, since it first first started. Um, there's been a lot of ranting, there's been a, a bit of positivity and some light-heartedness throughout. We're going in a slightly different direction again this week. Um, so, I, I, as you know, I, I'm a regular frequenter of the NFL Reddit. Um, shout out to those that are listening on the NFL Reddit. Uh, but I saw a post in the last couple of weeks from a user by the name of The Fuzzy Stoner. And it was an interesting post, and I, I will tweet it out so that you guys can read the post in full. But it basically, it was he, he brought me to the attention of a website called whatifsports.com. And for those of you who don't know what What If Sports is, I didn't know what it was either. I went and had a look. It's essentially a sports simulation website where you can simulate any matchup in history from 1941 through to the present, from a football point of view, from 1941 to the present. It does do other sports like baseball and so on, um, but I haven't really played around with them at all. Um, But basically, it lets you take particular teams, particular rosters, and pit them against each other, simulate it, and see what the computer thinks would, would happen if those two teams met. There's also other things you can do where you can draft rosters of players from any year so you can have guys from the 60s on the same team as guys from the present, so on and so forth. Really quite an interesting website. Um, You can get a 10-day free trial or you can sign up uh, for a proper account, but that does cost money. But for the purposes of this, uh, the Fuzzy Stoner decided to enter, like, Obviously, we're in off-season mode. We're, we're really you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel for things to keep us entertained at this point with no football. So the Fuzzy Stone decided to have a little bit of a play around with the What If Sports website. And he decided to simulate 
a scenario where the 2007 New England Patriots played against the 2008 Detroit Lions. Now, for those of you who don't recall, the 2007 Patriots were the team that went uh, undefeated all the way through the season, all the way through the playoffs, and then lost the Super Bowl. So they went 18-1. and And then on the flip side, the 2008 Detroit Lions went 0-16, and didn't win a game, uh, and had an average points allowed per game of 32.31. So you've got one of the best rosters of the modern era against one of the worst rosters of the modern era. So the Fuzzy Stoner decided to simulate the two and see whether or not it was actually possible for the New England Patriots from 2007 to lose to the 2008 Detroit Lions. So Nads, I'm just going to ask you, how many games do you think it took? I, I, I will say that the, the Detroit Lions did eventually beat the New England Patriots. How many games do you think it took before that happened? How many games did you simulate? Well, he kept simulating. Well, obviously, he stopped simulating once, you know, once it happened. But he kept simulating uh, okay, until it happened. And then once it happened... Um, oh, look, I'm, ge- I'm guessing maybe about 850. Nah, not that much, mate. Let's not be silly. Although, I will put a, a caveat on it that there's a reason for this. So, he simulated it took 262 games before the Detroit Lions managed to overcome the uh, New England Patriots. Now, to get to that point, he had to actually physically go in and manipulate the starting rosters so that the Patriots were starting with all of their third string players for that to be actual, actually be possible. But 261 straight games where the Patriots beat the Detroit Lions and not even just beat, but like thumped average point differential was regularly above 35 upwards to like over a 10 game stretch. At one point, the average point differential was 43.4. So we're talking yeah, like that's... actually getting smashed. But it was really interesting reading um, and, and the Fuzzy Stone actually did quite a good uh, job of, you know, summarizing it. He gives an in-depth game recap of the, uh, the final. But I wanted to know from you, Nads, do you think there would be, what would you, if you could do this, what would the matchup that you would simulate be? Or NFL-wise? NFL-wise. Oh, man. Any two teams in history. It's not an easy question. No, that's that's really, really quite difficult. Um, I'd, I'd like to see... I really would like to see if, like... My mind goes to, like, the 72 Dolphins because yep. they, were, they went undefeated. Yep. I'd like to see if they were able to beat like one of Vince Lombardi's elite Packer teams. Yep. Um, I also would like to see. Oh, you know, yeah, and yeah, you wouldn't mind measuring like how Bill Walsh's Forty ers went against against the seventy two Dolphins as well. Um, I think in the modern. In the modern game of the past fifteen years or so, oh, look, yeah. it's a tough you one. Really, it's a really you, tough you, one. You, you know, you're you're really splitting hairs there, mate. But it's um, it's certain it's certainly one where you can have a bit of fun with. That's for oh sure. for sure. I mean, like I 
as a gag, I'd like to see who would win between the 2006 Raiders, who who were 2-14 and and were the worst team in football. I'd like to see how they would go against the Detroit Lions of 2008. Yeah, there's some some real fun. You know, you can... can, Yeah, you can play, like, who who do you think was worse? I think... But trying to determine who was better, there are so many elite teams out there that, yeah, it it wouldn't be separating much. No, but for those um, that do want to play around with it, I'll tweet out not only um, the Fuzzy Stoners in-depth analysis of the 2007 Patriots against the 2008 Lions, um, but I will also tweet out the website so that you guys can have a play around if you wish and explore. But I thought it was just, you know, a bit of a light-hearted look at how people are staying entertained over the off-season without football. No, I think it's a great one. One one thing that I just would add, I think it would be interesting to look at, you know, the championship games, for instance, you know, go back to when San Francisco and Seattle were playing all those, like, playoff games, and, like, San Francisco, you know, hypothetically, they had a few games that they probably should have won, in the playoffs to get them into the Super Bowl. Now, had they won that game and they got into the Super Bowl, you know, would would they have won the Super Bowl that year? You know, you could you could play around with it from that perspective, and um, it'd certainly make for good discussion. Oh, for sure, we mate, we could have a whole podcast episode just on this sort of stuff. <laughs> we can, but it's the it's no longer the off season. No, we're getting real, into the real footballs end. here. I can't wait. No, no, cannot I. wait for the Hall of Fame game next week. All right, and that wraps us up for another episode of Any Given Monday. Make sure that you like us on Facebook at Any Given Monday POD and also on Twitter. We're on there at Any Given MON POD. You can also catch us individually on Twitter, guys. You can catch Nads at HB Nadoni, N A D O L N Y, and you can catch me at D Song, S O A N G. And be sure to fire in some questions with the hashtag AskNads, um, and we'll put some good ones together and do a mailbag segment soon. Football's back, guys, and you know what that means. It also means the new Madden is coming out soon, so you can guarantee that we're going to have a review on that in the coming weeks because we all know that we're going to want... You're going to need your tips for your ultimate team coming up this year. In the meantime, keep fighting for those inches. Football's back, baby. Bye. Catch up! He's 40! Oh, he's in the man! 35! Look at him go! 30! 25! He's at the 20! Gets the ball!